Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy, and we have Avigail Gimple. And Avigail is a college lecturer, practitioner in a private practice, and author of Hyper Healing, The Empowered Parent's Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD. Avigail, it's great having you here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Okay, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure being here with you. Uh, nice how I got you. started, I started out as a very young 20-year-old teacher, thinking that I knew a lot and I knew nothing. And uh, so I got into the classroom and I was teaching in English as a second language class, which was also an inclusion setting. So I had lots of different things going on, five different languages and many different uh, challenges that, the, that my students were presenting. And I had no idea how to manage the students. I always remember this one student, uh, his name was Ilusha. He came from the former Soviet Union and he looked locked eyes with me on that first day. And he's like... I got your number, lady. And he, <laughs> I gave out some he, I gave out some some worksheets to do. It was the beginning of the year, so we were starting to, you know, warming up the year and I we had to do a lot of coloring cuz I we had no language in common yet. So uh, he took all of their coloring sheets and bundled them all up, crumpled them and dumped them out the window. And uh, I'm just kind of standing there flabbergasted. I have no idea how to respond to this child. And he basically spun me around his pinky the entire year. And I responded absolutely terribly, punishing, throwing him out of the classroom, making him sit in the back of someone else's classroom, all the terrible mistakes. And I realized that I had to get my act together if I was going to actually be a teacher. So I went back, I, you know, I carried on with school, got my master's in special education, which gave me a lot of tools. And I'm very grateful for that. The classroom gives you a whole lot more tools than, than anything you could learn in uh, college grad school. Uh, so then I started focusing more on ADHD. And it wasn't because I chose ADHD. ADHD kind of chose me because these students uh, were so fabulous at recess time. They asked questions and they they ran circles and, and they were telling me things and asking me things and 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 saying the multiplication tables at me. And I loved them. They were so great. And I could not get them to sit in the classroom at all and learn. And I knew they were intelligent and I knew they had a lot going on and they were so curious, but I could not get them to 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 learn anything. So I actually spent, took a deep dive into ADHD and really, and developed a program for them. And uh, they started learning and I put them at the center. And uh, I mean, th this is a very long story. Do you want me to carry oh, on? Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Feel free. We have plenty of time. <laughs> okay, ahead, yeah. great. So it was, it was that, it was uh, during that year after I'd finished grad school and was, and was teaching, it was an all boys classroom, third grade. And uh, I was doing great with them. We were having a fantastic time together. That was the year I met my husband. And uh, after my first date with him, I said, wow, he's uh, something about him that really attracts me. Only years later, I realized that he was really similar to my students. <laughs> was, I, I just loved his energy. Well, uh, anyhow, and his confidence. He's got some fabulous confidence. My husband could get more done in one day than 10 men put together. It's, it's really something remarkable to watch. We have six children. We've lived on three continents. Uh, it's three different languages. 
and uh, and we're still we're still churning it out. And of course, ADHD, as we know, is genetics. So my husband sprinkled his genes all over the place, and uh, most of my kids are diagnosed with ADHD. So wow. not only am I a teacher of ADHD, I also am a mom of ADHD. And after twenty plus years of of working with ADHD students, clients, and teachers, because I teach um, I teach teachers in college. I finally put my whole program together in a book. And that's what you were talking about at the beginning. Okay. okay. And I don't think for our listeners, we didn't say where you were. This is a Zoom call. And you said you've lived in a couple of continents. Let them know at least where, where you, you live are. now. Yeah, right. Okay. So right now I am right outside of Jerusalem, Israel. So uh, Hebrew is the language here. And uh, our fourth child was born when we lived in Moscow, Russia. So we got to learn that language as well. And obviously we started, well, not obviously, I guess I, I'm such a New Yorker. I think that everyone <laughs> assumes that American means New York. So <laughs> anyway, the other continent is New York. Okay. So uh, okay. there it is. Okay. Okay. So what is ADHD? Well, yeah, I was going to, I guess we can get into that too, but I didn't want to interrupt you from when you were explaining that you, as far as, I guess you did finish. I'm sorry. You did come to a stop. I was saying it's, it, as far as explaining before, but I felt like I interrupted you, but I guess I did. Sorry about that. Not at all. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to ask like what it, we didn't get into, like what is ADHD and what are the causes of, of that? That's such a great question. ADHD is actually what, what I simplify it and say that it's a list of symptoms. It's a list of challenging symptoms of inattention, of hyperactivity, or a combination of them. And you can look in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which, which now it's the, the Bible of psychiatry, and they'll give you a very neat, nice list of uh, ADHD symptoms. But what ADHD really is is observable symptoms that are being caused by many different uh, causes. So for example, ADHD can be caused by a certain personality. I call it the instant gratification personality. That would be the genetic component that you're passing down from, in my case, father to children, a certain type of, of a personality. So what instant gratification would be that a, a child or a person would be interested in the here and now, what's exciting and interesting and intriguing and slightly dangerous and, and what's fun. The second is what's going to draw them. So that is a perfectly healthy personality. But what happens with that personality is that person could be an inventor, a scientist, a musician, an artist. They, they have the potential to do all sorts of great things, but they have a very hard time with follow through. So they'll jump out of bed in the morning when they're going to Six Flags, but try to get them out of bed for school. And that's not fun and not interesting and gives them no positive feedback in most cases because these kids don't do great in school. So uh, every morning, it's like a brand new morning. What? I have to get up today? Isn't it Sunday? So no, it's Wednesday again. So, so that's that instant gratification personality. And the child who's a healthy child needs to work on building skills and at being able to get better at get, getting through the things that are boring and more challenging for them. So that's what, we, that's what we would work on with that. And also helping them by pairing them up with other people that have those skills, but don't have that intrigue and excitement and curiosity for life. So they can work together. It's like putting the scientists and the accountant together. 
so a journalist and and a secretary who's able to you know get uh, dot the i's and and cross the t's. But that's one cause. Another cause would be a screen addiction, for example. Kids who are completely sucked into screens will have a very hard time focusing and they have rushing cortisol from the games that they're playing and the very, very fast moving things that they're seeing on the screens. That's another cause. Another one would be a, a sleep disorder. You know, I, I've had, I have had six, six children, thank God. And I remember, you know, being after birth. And people asking me very basic questions and just like my brain failing me because I've had two hours of sleep the entire night. Uh, so kids that are not getting good sleep are going to exhibit ADHD symptoms. Stress, anxiety, and trauma are another major of ADHD symptoms. And they, and they, have, they mimic every single symptom we're going to see in the DSM. And another big one that I, that I deal with a lot is health and nutrition because physiological issues like asthma, allergies, autoimmune conditions, and, um, headaches, stomach aches, also to skin rashes, all of those things. When we see those physical symptoms, we have to ask ourselves, maybe this child is suffering and cannot focus because of something that's happening inside their body. In which case we would work on their diet and clean up their diet. And in many cases, those symptoms really come down dramatically or even go away. So it's really kind of um, a very slow process of trying to figure out why the child is struggling instead of saying this child has ADHD. I see. So <laughs> even growing as an adult, you can develop certain symptoms that come out more or how does how does that work when as you know as you grow with ADHD? So I, I have a joke with some of my students because I, I live in a community where people have fairly large families, and you'd think that I have a large family, but actually we're I'm I'm quite there in the middle. But I, I joke with my students because often they'll say, you know, I was a great student when I was growing up, and now I'm sitting in your class as a teacher, and uh, I realize like my whole you know I can't, I can't keep my my house clean and I can't juggle all the things. I say, well, how many kids do you have? Somehow it's always four. And I call it the ADHD of the fourth child. When we, when basically what it is, is that when life gets too overwhelming and we're juggling too much, our plate just kind of spills over and we can't juggle anymore. And uh, so then we assume we have ADHD. What, what you're having is too much to do and not enough time. So that's something that could develop later on or a screen addiction very often could develop later on. But many, uh, many children carry ADHD symptoms into their adulthood. And I find that if they do not help themselves develop skills as children for two different reasons, either they, they've gotten a lot of help from parents and teachers and therapists throughout their childhood, and they were never left to their own devices to develop these skills, then as they get into adulthood, they, they still can't deal with uh, things that are uncomfortable and boring for them. And they can't push themselves through to get that degree or to get to the paycheck. So it's really important for us to help young children and teenagers develop skills and not, not bubble wrap them and let them fail a little bit and let them feel the world and let them be able to develop skills naturally that are their own. So there are ways that, that we carry ADHD into adulthood, and there are ways that we develop ADHD symptoms in adulthood as well. What are some, some For example, tips? Oh, sorry, I'm go sorry. ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. 
Okay, I was saying that someone could develop an autoimmune condition later on in life. Autoimmune conditions very often, if a person does not go on the correct diet, will suddenly the memory will go and they, they'll be more forgetful and, and they'll have much more challenging, which looks very much like ADHD. I was going to ask, what are some tips for breaking screen addiction? Well, that's a hard one because we are surrounded by screens all the time. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, when, when we had that first lockdown, remember that first lockdown, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) it feels like a hundred years ago, even though we're (laughs) pretty much in the same place we were back then. Uh, so then all my kids were on zoom and I had to be on my phone constantly getting them links and getting them to this computer and that computer and, you know, just communicating with the outside world. I found that I myself got uh, sucked into my phone and really quite addicted. You know, the first thing I reached for in the morning was my phone to see what the schedule was and what the news was and how many people had COVID this, this morning and that kind of thing. So uh, I actually had to put a, a, um, a block on my phone. Uh, And that's something I recommend for everyone. First of all, I would never, ever give my teenager a phone without it being blocked, meaning that they cannot get to YouTube, believe it or not. They can, if they need to watch something on YouTube, then there should be a computer that they could access, but not something that's in their pocket and not something that's, that's, that is that accessible. Not only that, uh, pornography is a disaster for our teenagers and Mm -hmm. everybody gets to it. So Parents have to understand that we have to help our children just as we would not give our children pot or give our or allow our children to get to the to the whiskey cabinet. Here, you know, go ahead. Here's a here's your glass. Go ahead and take a drink. We also should not be allowing our kids to get directly to very, very destructive pornography and other even less destructive, but still terrible Um, things on the screen. So I definitely recommend that there be some way to control what children watch. And I say, get rid of anything that you can get um, to links that the kids could open links or that they can watch hours upon hours of videos. And the worst kind of addiction is games. I don't allow games on screens at all, not on the computers, not a Wii and not any kind of of, uh, gaming in the house because that actually creates the worst addiction of all of them. So I I think that if I were to give it a tip, I would say definitely break the habit as a family that you as a family decide you're putting these phones away for a certain amount of hours of the day mom, dad, and all the children should have some kind of block on their phone that, you know, if, if dad's sitting there at dinner, watching something, you know, watching a game, then uh, he's blown it for his kids. He's not no longer an example, but we also, we also should have ways to not allow our phone to turn on earlier than a certain hour. And it must shut off by a certain hour because we should not be having that blue light in our faces. Cause then it messes up with our sleep. So that would be definitely do it together, put the blocks on the phone. There are lots of great systems that you can look into on the internet, of course, and uh, find ways to, to put the best protection on your phone. But the, the way that works best, and this is recommended in uh, what's her, her name is Victoria Dunkley. Uh, She has an excellent book about this called reset your child's mind. I think it's called that. Um, look it up. It's really great. She says you got to do a two-week reset. That means that you just cleanse your home and your mind of screens. 
get rid of them. The kids will go crazy for two weeks and then they're just going to go back to being kids. So I think for adults, we could do that as well. Yeah. You mentioned um, nutrition and how that plays into ADHD. Are there like certain types of foods or um, certain category of foods that make things worse? I have noticed that uh, gluten and dairy and sugar are the three major food groups that I'd like to get rid of. Food coloring is another one that uh, I think a lot of kids are very sensitive to and really wreaks havoc on their, on their gut microbiome. So those are things that I try to help parents uh, clean out of kids' diets and also for adults themselves. I don't eat gluten or dairy, and uh, I happen to have two children also with celiac. So the whole, my whole household does not have anything that has gluten in it just so that they can feel free to eat whatever they want. But interestingly, when, when uh, my children were diagnosed with AD, with um, celiac, sorry about that, the doctor said, you should know that kids with celiac often have ADHD more often. And I, and I said, why is that doctor? He said, well, there's the gut grit, the gut brain connection, where if the gut is not working well, then the brain can't work well. So our gut is really our second brain and we have to nurture it. So we don't just remove foods like gluten, dairy, sugar, and food coloring. And we do it slowly, by the way, we don't dump this on a family. We don't dump this on ourselves. It takes a while to really get to the place where we've cleaned up our diet real well, but we also add things like, like probiotic foods and uh, lots of fruits and vegetables of all colors in the correct seasons. Those are things that, that actually reseed and, and strengthen our gut. So that's what I would recommend. And that helps very, very quickly. And if someone, uh, uh, very often we're gonna see that kids have constipation and there the, the probiotics and magnesium are extremely helpful, but we have to take a look at our kids' um, blood tests and see how much D and, and zinc they have and, and, mag- and all, all of the things, because if they're low in iron or B12, again, they're gonna have ADHD symptoms. These are all connected. Our body and our mind are connected, but the most important thing is our gut. It's right there at the center of our body and we've got to take good care of it if we want to have a sharp mind. So what are the symptoms to watch out for and how do you identify that you have ADHD? Uh, So the symptoms we're looking out for are a child having trouble or an adult sitting and uh, sitting to do something for a long time, being very hyper, talking nonstop, you know, having trouble being able to control themselves when, you know, adults are having a conversation, they just kind of burst into the conversation. Uh, Sometimes they have trouble with controlling themselves with aggression, or using using difficult words, I guess that would be aggressive as well. Um, We'll see the other type, the more inattentive type are more spacey, and dreamy. They're kind of sitting in the corner of the classroom and uh, they've kind of checked out, but often we'll find later on that they've really heard what we've said. So that's the, those are the things we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of disorganization and um, we're also going to see a very, um, what's the word? Um, For some reason I'm losing the word, but uh, anyway, Uh, we're going to see them. They just kind of like, you know, spontaneously do things without thinking too hard about it. You know, 
leaping onto their bike and zooming down the hill without thinking that maybe at the bottom they'll crash and it'll hurt a lot. So they get into a lot of accidents as well. Mm -hmm. So those are things that we see that we're identifying. But again, when we identify those things, also it's extremely sensitive. We're going to see they cry more often or they, they get hurt much more than another kid. They carry all of the experiences of their entire day on their shoulders and they come home all balled up and a lot of, a lot of stress. So when we see those things, what we should not do is assume the child is ADHD. What we should do is ask what's going on. This child's struggling. These are ADHD symptoms. Why? That's, that's our next step. Why are these symptoms showing up? Do you have any programs that help um, with yeah, parents? That's, uh, yeah, that's, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Uh, that, well, the, the program, I've been, I've been working on this program for many years for my students and for my own kids. And that's actually what my entire book is about. We identify the different causes of ADHD symptoms. And then for each of those causes, the ones we talked about, the instant gratification personality, the sleep, the diet, the trauma, et cetera, all of those things. And for each of those causes, uh, we, I, I actually prepare a program for the, for the parents. And I keep in mind that parents have, often the parents have ADHD themselves. So I wrote the book in a way that parents could follow. I make a cheat sheet at the bottom. I don't know if you did all of your book reports from Cliff Notes, but I certainly did in in high school. So I give them the Cliff's Notes in the in the book, so they never have to go back and read the full chapter, but they could remember what they read. Because people with ADHD often are much more intelligent than the rest of the population, so they'll remember it the second they see the the highlights. And I give the parents an action plan. The best way to go through this program is with a group of friends where you all have a kid with ADHD and you go chapter by chapter and you encourage each other because the program is very neatly set out, but it's hard to do anything on your own. So that's what I recommend uh, to all of my readers. And the program is clear. It's great. It works because I only um, put in the book things that, that have worked for my clients and, and children. And my son has often accused me of, uh, of treating them like lab rats, my own kids, uh, because I'm like, hey, let's try this program, see how that works. Like, let's say doing exercise in the morning. So I'd have them all running on a treadmill in the morning at six o'clock in the morning. And they're like, mom, stop it. We can't live with this anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, the program is great and it's very usable. What's your opinion for parents to choose, that choose um medication. Okay. So I, my second book coming out in about a month and a half or so is called uh, hyper healing. Show me the science where I really break down the whole topic of medication and the history of ADHD. And, and the truth is that I have medicated my own children. So I'm not, I'm not a purist anti-medication person because my kids have have experienced it. And as a mom, I've experienced my children on medication. And uh, what I look at really is, is the science. I want to know, first of all, what the side effects are and short-term and long-term, is my kid going to be in better shape? Anytime we take a medication, we want to find that, you know, the only reason we agree to take antibiotics, even though it's going to cause some imbalance in our gut, 
you know, so it's not 100% great to take antibiotics, but it's going to save my life. So, okay, sure. I'm willing to take that risk because I, I need to get rid of the strep throat and not let it go down to my heart. But here with ADHD, I'm, I ask the same question. Is the child better off short-term and long-term with the medication or not? And most of the studies are fairly conclusive that long-term kids do not do better on medication. And, uh, but short-term, they do get a boost. They short-term, I'm, I'm talking about a few months and up to a year, they do get a boost. They, they start to see that they're capable of doing more than they expect. And they also get a lot of feedback from their teachers, their parents. And this way that, that also helps them kind of build their, their self-esteem. So in that way, it helps. And it also will help with um, things like math. It was actually uh, originally called the mathematics pill because it helps with rote things that you don't have to do too much thinking out of the box. So memorizing or working with numbers, these ADHD medications will give you some, some help, uh, a boost there. But uh, the, then there's the, you have to weigh that against the side effects. And when kids stop eating altogether or get headaches or are lethargic and things like that, we have to consider what are we trading this for? Are we trading this for so the kid could sit for a long time? Is he going to be better for it? I don't think so. But maybe he needs it right now. Maybe he needs a couple of months of quiet where everyone's really happy with him. Is it a long-term solution? Absolutely not. We cannot trade a really, really good program for popping a pill. Popping a pill never works to save us from anything. I noticed so, you never uh, mentioned it. Most of the things you were recommending were activities or something that was outside of medicine. That's what why I decided right. to ask the question. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the truth is I'm not a doctor. So anyway, I, I do discuss medication, but I, I leave that to, to people to make decisions with their child's doctor, with their own doctor about medication. I do give an overview and say, read the facts so that you can have informed consent so that you can really know what you're popping in your mouth before you do it. Right. And, and that's very important. We have to be partners with our doctor not just, you know, saying yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. To whatever the doctor recommends to us, we need to think on our own. Are there things schools can do to better support kids with ADHD? Cause I know, you mentioned screen addiction. I know we're having a lot of kids do online schools and we're putting a lot of more screen times in schools. So are there things schools can do to, I guess, help? Well, the, the, the Zoom school is not school. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that, has, that has really hurt these kids with ADHD symptoms. It's, it's been a absolute destruction for these kids wow. and and they've lost really a year and a half of their lives this way and uh, schools have a lot of reckoning to do because they've thrown all the kids under the bus and there are some kids who are going to bounce back but these kids with the ADHD they're going to have a really hard time unless they were able to find something else to do I have one son who is very creative and very ADHD and he and his friends got together and they, they built amazing things during the lockdowns and they just didn't attend Zoom school. And I'm like, good for you. Go and be social and build things and, and then you'll learn. That's great. So I think that, first of all, schools need to be a little bit more experiential 
and they have to offer students a lot more hands-on things. This particular son also during during class, I would he would create um, kind of he create projects of what the teacher was teaching. He'd listen. And then he'd create something that he could show the students at the end of the class. Either it was a drawing or a 3D uh, something. He sat in the, in the back, so he didn't bother anyone. But these are things that students need to learn. Also, for some reason, recesses are shrinking. And that's ridiculous. And being replaced by sport and gym time. And sport and gym time is organized sports time. That's not going to help a child decompress and be able to reset for the next class. Recess has to be long. Because that's the way children learn, are able to receive the learning that the teacher is trying to shove into their heads. And there, and, and there needs to be more recesses. There needs to be more outdoor time for students. But I think for a lot of these kids, the main thing that a teacher can, two main things a teacher can do is number one, be very clear and structured. Because a kid with an instant gratification personality is, is always kind of testing his limits. And the teacher has to be very clear on what the limits are and stop the child right at the beginning. I remember uh, one teacher, before I started teaching, I was in the library. We used to go to the library to do research. I I sound like a relic from the past. Um, So I'm sitting there in the library trying to like, you know, create, create lessons for my students. And I'm sitting across from this, from this uh, one, this other, this woman, and she says, oh, I see that you're taking out books about education. What, what are you, where are you heading? I said, well, I'm starting to teach third grade. She says, ah, oh, third grade. Listen, take my advice. I've been a teacher for 20 years. Don't smile until Christmas. So I couldn't take her advice because I really like to smile. But what I understood from her, which I feel is very wise, is that you have to show them who's boss, but not in a rough way. In a way that in a, in a kind of like an embrace of these are the rules. And within these rules, we're going to do great together. We're going to have a really fun time. You follow these rules. That's your responsibility. My responsibility is to provide you with interesting lessons to make it fun and interesting for you and to make it an experience for you to be in my classroom. So I put the student at the center and I never started a lesson until they understood why that lesson was important to them. And that's the second thing that a teacher can do. Make the student know that this is important to them so that they want to be part of that lesson. That's the most important thing is that the child desires to be there. Once you've got the student wanting to learn that topic, because suddenly that topic is the topic that's most interesting and most connected to their own life, then you really have them and you have a great time together and it becomes a really dynamic, fun classroom. So those are the things that teachers really can do. With the school system there and the school system here in America, what would be, you know, I'm sure it's a, probably a big difference in the curriculum or even just how they have the things set up. Do you see a big difference mm-hmm. in how maybe the school system there may be better for ADHD kids or ADHD <laughs> kids? Or do you, you see a difference in that? Do you think that the American school system is, mm, that, you know, offers a I, curriculum I that can know. keep the, the attention span and you know, can make, or you feel that's more of the teacher's responsibility? 
Well, the, the sad truth is that Israel very much mimics America in every way. And, and the way, you know, we, we spray our fields and the way we medicate our kids and in the way we educate. And, uh, you know, America has a lot to offer, but in this area, not much. So I wish that Israel would be much more inno innovative and be better at education, but that's not, that does not seem to be the case. And what's happened is that because ADHD is, is so widespread and growing every year, and teachers are told that the child has a neurological disorder. And therefore, just like if a child has a eyesight problem, you give the child glasses. If a child has ADHD, you give the child a pill. And, and, what, and when I started teaching, we learned how to discipline lovingly and calmly. But now the teacher doesn't see discipline as his or her responsibility. And that dumps that on the parent that will call the parent. They're going to they're going to tell on the child to the parent. Your child didn't behave well. Well, guess what? That's the teacher's responsibility, not the parent's responsibility. And we've lost the art of discipline and that has to be gotten back. So I, I don't think any of the classrooms are particularly conducive. There are some incredibly gifted teachers who are able to draw the students in and at the very same time maintain a, a structured classroom. There are a few teachers left who think that discipline is their responsibility and not demand that the child sit like a, a little statue in the classroom and behave and otherwise the child has to either be medicated or removed. And I, I hope I hope with the work that I've done and the work of so many others who are really pushing in this direction that we start seeing children as children again and we start taking responsibility for raising and educating them instead of medicating them into silence because we are really not doing a service to an entire generation of kids. So when I was doing a brief search on ADHD, it... I just kept hearing about boys. Um, so is this something that's prevalent in um, boys or males versus females in your experience? So in my family, the girls are hyper, but that is not typical. <laughs> my daughters are much more similar personality wise to their father. And my sons are more similar to me. I'm not, I mean, I'm not the calmest person on the planet, as you probably have noticed from my very passionate excitement about my subject. But uh, yeah, so so the truth is, yeah, your, your search is, is quite accurate because the hyper is often associated with boys. So boys get diagnosed much quicker to the point that in high school in America, this is an American statistics, 18% of high school boys are, are labeled as ADHD. That's a, a tremendous amount. That's more than kids have blue eyes. This is, you know, this, it could no longer be a disorder when that many kids have it. That's a, it becomes part of the norm. But girls, it takes a longer time to identify them because girls tend to be more inattentive. It's not always like that, but it, it usually takes longer. It, sometimes it even takes until they, they, um, go to college, graduate school that, or if they make it into graduate school because of their inattentiveness, uh, that, that it takes a longer time to identify them. So I'm not sure which one of them is more lucky, 
But uh, both of them, we really have to identify both because neither one of them is learning very well. Good to know it's not just one way. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any myths in this space that you like to dispel or you found out as you're doing this research? Yeah. So the biggest myth is that ADHD is neurological. Now, there are neurological components to all behaviors because our brains are connected to us and everything one affects the other. But in most cases, and even in the most recent study, a huge study done in 2017, they were able to scratch out maybe 5% of the kids uh, that were labeled as ADHD having slightly altered brains, although you couldn't really tell if they were altered brains or, or um, you know, healthy brains. Like it was meaning that you cannot identify a kid with ADHD according to an MRI, an fMRI, a CT scan, because we can't see it in the brain. So until they can show me where it is in the brain, I'm going to assume that it's a combination of personality and environmental factors that are creating this, uh, this challenge in the kids. And often it's a clash between a child and the child's personality. So that is something I think that is a major myth and we have to really be careful not to be throwing that at children because what it does is then essentially blames the child for the child's issues and God forbid the child is being molested or, or being physically abused. And we're saying that is, or their parents have just gotten divorced and you're saying that child has neurological disorder. Well, what about the environment the child's growing up in? What if we have to look at that? What about the runny nose and the rash and, and the hair falling out and the stomach aches? Well, we have to look at that. And if we go neurological all the time, in some cases, I'm sure the cause is neurological, but very few. And if we go there, then we're not looking at the child. We're trying to fit the child into a box that really doesn't make sense. As far as with adults, um, how does... I guess recreational we're in California and as far as when dealing with like Colorado where they're using um, psychedelics um, for um, mental illness and things like that. And you have as far as, you know, CBD that's being used Mm -hmm. for seizures and things like that dealing with um, medicine. Are there any studies dealing with adults where recreation, recreational things as far as um, marijuana or how does, how does that, I guess, alcohol period right is there any that it it affects them more they're more likely to be addicted to it or it helps with anything are there any studies on that that so there are studies definitely studies on cbd for sure and i have heard or even the complete flower not even separating it Uh um and i and i've heard uh, from anecdotally besides for there being studies saying that it's very helpful uh, I, I, I actually know people who have tried it as adults. I, I'm not giving pot to children, um, but I have uh, heard from adults that it is very helpful to them and that they'll choose to you know, have some, some uh, pot before they study or before they take a test. And uh, it's not necessarily more addictive for, for those people, but uh, someone with an instant gratification personality in general is a more addictive person because they're always chasing after things that are really fun for them and they get a lot of instant gratification from them. 
So it could be that they might overdo it. But I think in terms of health, it's probably healthier for them than say most of the ADHD drugs. I, I don't recommend it just because I don't, A, I'm not a doctor again, and B, I don't know enough about exactly how it's used. But I have heard from people who have not asked my advice and gone ahead and done it anyway, that it's, it has some good effects. Okay, So there are studies out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not alcohol. Alcohol is not something yeah. that would be of any value to someone with ADHD. <laughs> I would assume Don't so. go there. Anything about um, psilocybin? What's that? Uh, mushrooms or anything psilocybin mushrooms, psychedelics. So the psychedelics, I don't know enough about that. These are great okay, questions. And now okay. you are pushing me to expand my horizons. I'm going psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> My next book is going to be psychedelics and hyperhealing. Okay. <laughs> Cuz they're, you know, um they're using it a lot here for mental illness or I was it no yes. depression or to yeah. Yeah. for people that's depressed so that's why. Right. And I and I've heard yes. that it does great for for things like that and um, that's fantastic. I I always prefer doing uh you know going with something that's a little more natural than something that's created synthetically in a laboratory but it has to be done carefully because the stuff is powerful. So as a parent of six kids and, um, and I don't know if all your kids display ADHD symptoms, um, just, but just being a parent and uh, being in this space, uh, what are some things you do to um, de-stress? Uh, for myself. Yes. Saying. For yourself and you know, <laughs> tips for other As parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's assuming I'm not stressed. <laughs> but, well, I'm uh, sure you have like, you know, I'm sure you've developed just, you know, for yourself, for your self care, just things you do to uh, manage your stress. Yeah, I love that question because it's so important because we moms definitely have to take care of ourselves or we would lose my, our minds. And uh, I, like I mentioned to you before, a bunch of my kids are in quarantine right now. There's a major wave of COVID going on in Israel. It's just about everybody. Mm. Um, so, so we're, we're all kind of hunkered down here together. And, uh, what I do, well, first of all, my husband and I do make it a point to get out. We will go away for the weekend or we'll go out for dinner, uh, which is a little bit harder right now, but uh, actually during the first lockdown, my, my kids caught a picture of us sitting, uh, sitting together just in a little corner, each of us holding a coffee and hoping no one would talk to us for 10 minutes. And that was our date. But, uh, but we do try to get out together. I exercise and uh, spend some time with friends. And that's, that's great. Exercising is really very good for decompressing and uh, thinking a little bit. And uh, I think that's about it. But we should we definitely have to take care of ourselves. And, uh, and I also, the truth of the matter is I really enjoy my time with my kids. So you have to enjoy your kids. (laughs) You have to enjoy, you have to like them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I see them as, as fascinating. I I see it as, as a real journey that, and they teach me so much. My oldest daughter sat me down the other night and said, listen, you're not, hugging us enough. And I'm like, all righty. Okay. <laughs> thanks for that. And like, you know, she's just like, <laughs> they give it, they give you little tips and like, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm very into like, pushing through the pain. 
And she says, listen, it's very good for you. It works for you. But sometimes we want you to just say, it's okay. You could cry. And I say, you could cry. You could for sure cry. And then after you're done crying, get up and get going and dust yourself off. She's like, you don't have to say that every time. You could just let us just be in like a big blob on the floor crying. I'm like, okay, good tip. But the point <laughs> is that we're, we're kind of growing up together. And if I don't see myself as all knowing and wise, which I certainly do not, then, uh, then it's a real give and take uh, experience. And it's the very best way for us to mature ourselves, to raise ourselves, because it forces us to be our best selves, be more gracious, more attentive, um, more humble. And the main thing I say is if, if you want to survive this thing, you have got to develop a good sense of humor. Stop taking yeah. yourself so damn seriously. Yeah. So we, we have, have a good to time together. You have to have some humor. Right. Because we're all kids and we do become adults. So we have our crazy stage. (laughs) (laughs) Our hard to deal with stage. Yes. But we're not going to hold you too, too long. No, it's late there. (laughs) Yeah, it's getting later. and Well, if you let me go, I'll have to make dinner. (laughs) (laughs) it's a a tough place (laughs) i hear it yeah it's been wonderful having you yeah and i've learned a lot and it's a lot more that i'm looking forward to learning in the future i'm sure we're probably going to have to come back around again to check back in with you in the future to see how things are going and um anything else you'd Uh, like to ask i think that that's it for me. Would you uh, like to leave your information for the followers? And yeah. Absolutely. To- well, first of all, thank you so much. This is a really fun conversation. Thank I love you. your questions and your curiosity. That's really great. And, uh, and I am sure that your podcast really informs and helps a lot of people. So good for you. Uh, yeah. So you can uh, check me out at my website, which is www.hyperhealing.org. And on Instagram, which is hyperhealing.adhd. And uh, I don't spend much time on Twitter because I find it like a complete zoo. But I am also <laughs> on, uh, on LinkedIn. And I think that's where you can find me. And of course, you can look up my book, which is called Hyperhealing. And uh, that's on Amazon and on all other platforms where, where books are sold. So uh, if you do pick it up, please let me know how much you enjoy it. Definitely. And all of this information for the listeners will be in the description. Uh, As far as the information for the podcast, you can find us at americangypsy.com. Gypsy spelled G-Y-P-C. And you can support us on Patreon. The link will be on the website. And we have merch at luamlee.com. And... Thank you, everyone, for for listening listening. and consistent self-improvement, everybody. Thanks so much. Have a good one. All right. Are we done? Stop it over there. Okay. Yep. Can't reach the record, but stop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I got it. Okay. So we're still recording, huh? Well... We're trying to reach the record button.